most of you in here know why I'm greeting you in a Hebrew way. And that is because my husband and I just came back and our family from a two-week vacation from Israel. So we are excited to be back. I, I feel like I'm back home. I feel like I've, you know, been away for more than just two weeks. I mean, I think it's been three weeks since my husband and I and the kids haven't been here, so we haven't seen some of your faces. But I just want to say thank you for everybody who is so encouraging throughout our entire trip on social media. Every time I posted something, you guys were just, you know, telling us how wonderful the pictures were, which I was having a little bit of anxiety about that because I'm like, am I posting too many pictures? And believe me, all I posted was like, not even this much. I think I must have taken like 1,500 photos on the entire trip. And every stop that we made, we made I was like, wait, I got to take a picture. Wait, 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 guys, stay right there. So anyway, yes, I was that annoying mom on the trip. And we got every wonderful moment and every sour moment and every miserable moment. But it's wonderful because one day they'll all look back and they'll be like, thanks, mom. Now they're just all rolling their eyes like, oh, God. I remember when she told us to stop there and take a picture. But anyway, so we're really, really excited to be back. And so that is the appropriate greeting in Israel, which is shalom. And shalom means hello, goodbye, and peace. So it's a traditional greeting when you say, when you're greeting somebody, it's a traditional saying when you say goodbye to somebody. And some of you might be familiar with the Jewish culture. Um, you have the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, which is the day of rest, you say Shabbat Shalom. And that means may your rest, um, may your, your rest be filled with peace. That's the peace portion of the word shalom. So you hear that a lot in Israel. Um, it's kind of sad that we don't hear that anymore um, because this visit to Israel was not just a Holy Land trip, which is most of people from our faith, that's what we do. We go to Israel for a pilgrimage and, you know, we come back and we tell about it. And I, it's a beautiful portion. That was a beautiful portion of our trip. But really, the, the bulk of our trip the bulk of our trip was the time that we spent with my family. And so as most of you know, I come from a Jewish family, um, from a Jewish background, and I have tons of cousins, and my cousins have had kids, and I have my aunt and uncle, and they live on this, in this beautiful um, community called Kibbutzim. And so the way, I'm not going to take this opportunity to explain fully what that is, you can Google it, um, but it's a beautiful communal way of living um, where no one works for themselves, um, everything everybody does just gets put, let's just say, into one big pot and everybody is taken care of. They have a huge factory on the kibbutz, which is almost a billion dollar um, company that produces um, this plastic that they use to wrap hay bales in. And so the same guy who's the CEO of that company and the same guy that works in the kitchen washing dishes on the kibbutz make the same exact salary. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way of living. Nobody worries about anything. They're a small community of about 1,500 people. They farm their own foods. I mean, it's, it's really a wonderful way of life if that's something that you can agree to. You know, it's not sort of the American way. But, you know, and it's not like that throughout all of Israel. Israel is a beautiful modern country. And I've been encouraging everybody that I've spoken to that if you ever get the opportunity to go there, please do it. Do it. Go there, not just for the Holy Land, but go there because it's in an absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. I mean, it's just, we essentially traveled the entire country in about two weeks. We didn't get to see every single thing, but we definitely got to get to the top in the north by the borders of Syria and Lebanon. We went all the way down to the south by the Jordan. Going by Jordan's, I mean, uh, Syria and Lebanon was a little scary. There's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of all the things that you read about and you hear about on the news is true. Um, but we knew that we were safe. My aunt and uncle were the most gracious hosts. They, if anything, spoiled us in the treatment that my family and I received while we were there. And so we were really um, afforded the opportunity to learn so much, not just about the Holy Land, but about the land itself. And so I kind of feel this morning like Joshua and Caleb. And if you guys don't know the story about Joshua and Caleb, they were the two that were sent to spy out the land, okay, before all the people came into the promised land. And yes, my feet actually hit the promised land, like Israel itself is the promised land to the Jewish people. But I feel like 
I've entered into a season of promise, and I know that I keep saying this to you guys, and every time my husband and I get up here, we talk about God's promises, and we talk about how it's the season for God to unleash these beautiful things that we've been believing for for years, but I feel like Joshua and Caleb this morning because I feel like I've experienced and I'm experiencing those promise, that promised land coming to pass, and I'm able to come back to you on these Sunday mornings and be like, I've seen it, guys, I've seen it. I've seen it and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's attainable and it's what God wants for you and it's what God wants for me. And I'm not talking about a trip halfway around the world that takes 11 and a half hours to come home from. I'm talking about those things that you're believing for. I'm talking about those seeds that God has planted in you from way long ago. And maybe God just gave us this opportunity to go to Israel because we're leaders in this church. And maybe he just is unraveling all these wonderful things in our lives because he's like, I need somebody to go before them so that they can go back and tell all of them that it's real. It's real. Man, let me tell you, one of the most beautiful places that I think that I saw when I was in Israel that overwhelmed my soul. You may think that it was the beautiful Mediterranean Sea, which was gorgeous. You may think it was the Jordan River that we got baptized in. You may think it was the palm trees or the farmlands or the mountaintops because there was just, oh, the landscape was just extraordinary. But the most beautiful place that my eyes got to see was the Negev Desert. There was something about the desert, man. When I looked at that desert, that just totally overwhelmed me, made me emotional, and I just saw God in the bigness of who he is. It wasn't in the Holy Land where I was walking to the tomb of Jesus, and it wasn't on the shrines of the churches that were erected over every miraculous place that Jesus stepped, but rather it was in the desert. And I think for me, the desert was so personal because I spent so many years there. I spent so many years in a personal desert in my life where it looked like and it seemed to be nothing ever grew and nothing ever could come forth from it. The desert amazed me because the sun was so hot. The day that we got to the Negev Desert, it went up to 122 degrees. And I couldn't believe that I was even standing in that kind of heat. But what I marveled at was the faithfulness of God while he was with the people of Israel in the desert. It was amazing. He led them. Oh, there's no way you could withstand that heat. There's just no way. He led them. He led them with a cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night. And he never, never ceased to stop his direction over their lives. And so when I was in the desert, I saw these beautiful caves. And everywhere you go, there was a cave in the mountain rocks. Now, it wasn't like the Sahara Desert where you would just see lots of sand dunes and camels walking over, all over the place. That's not, kind of de- that's not what the Negev is. It's more rocky and mountainous and beautiful. And they had these deep caves that you would just look up at and you could tell how God made these pockets in the caves to, to, so that they could find refuge. I thought about King David. I thought about all these people who I've read about in the scriptures who ran to the hills and who went into these mountaintops and had to run. And, but there they found God where it looked like it's such a barren place, but it was such a place. I was reminded that the desert is a place where God comes and meets you. And he comes and he brings a sure provision. And it's the place where he secures his relationship with you. So if you find yourself in a desert this morning, I want you to be encouraged. You are in a beautiful place. You are not there to be forsaken, but you are there to come out of it so that when you come out of it, you can attest to the provision and to the glory and to the faithfulness of God while you thought you were all alone. Amen? That's what we're experiencing in our lives right now in this season. It's, oh my God, I've been in a desert for so long, but these promises, they're true, they're real. You, God, you really do restore. You really do restore. You take everything that's broken, you take every broken piece, and you put it all together. And you make this beautiful, beautiful picture of our lives. And we don't understand what's happening when we're hurting, and we don't understand all these things. But Jesus has come to be faithful to us. And so 
there's so much I want to share with you. I mean, I wish, I wish. I, with all that I experienced there personally and just tour-wise, I mean, I could write a book. It was just so extraordinary. So when you guys come to me and you ask me, like, how was my trip, it's like an overwhelming question. All I can tell you, and I'll tell you all from here, is that it was life-changing. But not because, and I've been sharing this with a lot of people, not because we walked to the places that Jesus walked. And I know that that might mess some of you up right now because I know some of you are like dreaming about this Holy Land trip. And again, if you, you should go. You should definitely do it. But I, I kind of want to break a fantasy um, if you'll let me for a moment just about the Holy Land and your expectations and my expectations. You know, I thought that when I got to the tomb of Jesus that I was going to be a boohooing mess, like this is where they laid my Savior. This is where it all went down. I thought, I, I mean, people were like, wow, girl, you must be having revelation over there. You must be like dropping in the churches that you're visiting. And, you, and I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. I really wasn't. In fact, I got to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where Jesus' tomb is, is, is found. And so I'm waiting on the line, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I see people coming in. I mean, you have, there were people weeping. There were people weeping. There were people just in a solemn moment, just quiet to themselves, reflecting, ingesting their surroundings. I mean, the church itself was extraordinary. But I'm standing there, and I'm like, okay, I'm a minister. I've served God for, I've been serving the Lord for 20 years. You know, I preach on Sunday mornings, been baptized, speak in tongues. I celebrate the Lord on every Sunday morning, and I feel absolutely nothing standing here. I felt so disconnected that I thought that there was something wrong with my faith. Because all the religiosity that was happening around me was telling me that I should be feeling something that I wasn't. And so I'm standing on the line, and you're behind this rope, and there's this Greek Orthodox priest sort of sitting, guarding, and I'm on my phone, <laughs> checking Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, put that away, you know. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, oh, is he getting crazy? And I'm just like bored. And then all of a sudden, I had the greatest revelation out of the whole entire trip that I didn't expect to have. And I'm standing on the line, and I'm saying, Lord, what's wrong with me? And I hear the Lord simply say this, I'm not in there. I said, I'm not there. And then it dawned on me, duh, that's the same thing he said to Mary when she was looking for him at the tomb. And here I was, looking for him at the tomb in Israel, at his tomb. And I'm like, where is he? I don't feel him. And I hear the Spirit of God say, I'm not here. I'm in you. And if God brought me halfway across the world just to remind me and give me a fresh revelation that he was no longer in those places, but that he's living on the inside of me, full of power, full of might, full of glory, then it was all worth it. I mean, I got to see some pretty cool art. Don't get me wrong. I got to see some nice stuff. But this was the single-handed greatest revelation that I got while I was in Israel. And there's all these shrines that are erected. But I realized at the end of the day, what mattered most was how I was treating the people around me. It was the love of God and the light and the salt that I was allowing my life to be as I was with my family who was not saved. It was the patience and the kindness that I endured while things got a little hectic while you're with your family for two weeks without a break. <laughs> right? That, those were the things that mattered the most. And yes, while everything was absolutely beautiful, Jesus was like, but I'm here with you. And I'm going to continue to perform miracles. And I'm going to continue to pour out my spirit on you. And yes, you know, something that's beautiful that the Lord, um, sh sort of like what we want to just touch on today, was just 
you know, as I was getting ready for this trip and I was packing all, you know, all the kids' stuff together, which took me like an entire week to do, but as I was doing that, I was nervous about so many things and it almost stripped me of the joy of being, of going on this trip. You know, all seven of us, like, going to Israel, everything covered in full. Like, who does that happen to? So much joy. And yet I was letting all my worry take over. And so one day I was just driving in my car and I heard the Lord say to me, you're coming to me. You're coming to my land. You're coming to the place that I was born. You're coming to my home on the earth. And I'm a good host. And I'm a good host. And you can put that, that up if you guys can. And I heard him say, I'm a good host. He said, don't you worry about a thing. I'm going to take care of all your needs. And he sure wasn't lying. I mean, I was taken care of on another level. I was taken care of in a way that I hadn't been taken care of since I was maybe 11 years old. It was unbelievable. I had not felt that kind of caring over me that, that people cooking for me. I mean, two weeks. I didn't have to make a meal for my family for two weeks. You know what that is. Come on, you know what that is, right? Like, if you got a kid in here, you know what that is. That's a vacation. If you just told me you were coming to my house to cook for two weeks, that's it. I'm on vacation. I will consider that. A vacation. Man, I got cooked. We got cooked for every day, every night, every afternoon. We, I mean, it was wonderful. And so this is what God said to me. And he said, I'm a good host. You know, in, in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, I'm going to say a few Hebrew words for you today. So don't, you know, don't freak out. Don't worry. I'll only ask you to recite the ironic blessing three times today in the sermon. So just don't, just get your tongues ready. There's a lot of and no, I'm just kidding. That was like a dry joke, but okay. Anyway, all right. <laughs> that was not like Gary's status, sorry. Um, he's also Jewish, you know. Okay. I'm just, that was another dry joke. Anyway. Okay. Stop laughing, CJ. I hear you up here. All right. In Hebrew, there is a word for the Lord of hosts. And you may have heard that name before, but in the word, and when God said to me, I am a good host, again, it was like a dumb moment. It was like, oh, yeah, that's in the Bible. Like, yeah, that's right. He is a good host, right? And in Hebrew, his name is Adonai Tzivaot. You want to try to say that with me? Adonai Tzivaot. Everybody got that? It's that C. All right, ready one more time. Adonai Tzivaot. All right, that's the Lord of hosts in Hebrew. And that particular name is translated into the Lord of hosts However, the more literal translation means the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. This uh, name of God is mentioned uh, about 250 to 260 times um, in the Bible. And the first time we read of it is when Hannah prays to the Lord for a child in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1, um, verse 9 to 11. And it just... Um, I'm going to go through real quick. Real quick, It says, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come to his head. And that's a wonderful story. And that's the first time that we hear about God being the Lord of hosts. We hear about him again being the Lord of hosts when the mighty warrior and king of Israel, David, um, is approaching the Philistine, and, and, and that's in 1 Samuel 17, 45. And he says, and he looks up at this uncircumcised and dirty, offensive Philistine, and he says, you come with me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. So it's a wonderful depiction that God is this big God and he is the Lord of the host of the armies, of angel armies. And that he is our defender and he is our protector. And so when I thought about this, I felt the Lord was correcting me and he was like, no, 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 but wait. Don't forget about how I'm here to serve you. And I was like, huh? Now, oftentimes I've heard preachings about how we ought to host the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is very much true. We ought to be a good host for the Holy Spirit. We ought to make room and welcome the Holy Spirit to move through our lives. But this is not what God was saying to me. 
God was telling me about him and his character towards me, which oftentimes, personally, I have a hard time taking in for myself because I'm a doer and I'm a giver. And I'm like, yeah, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Everybody, 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 everybody. And then I come up short. And I felt like God was saying, but let me care for you. Let me care for your soul. And he started sharing with me, said, you know, a good, what a good host does. Now, does anybody know what a bad host does? You ever been to somebody's house? <laughs> okay, maybe not. I don't know. You might be that bad host. I don't know if I'm going to shout you out right now. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one time, I, I, have, I, have these fr- I have these friends. They steal my friends because I forgive them. But I have these friends, and um, when I used to go to this, my one friend's house, she used to have these, like, big gatherings and all, you know, like, a lot of women friends over and whatever. And, you know, we would get to the house and someone would open the door, like one of her friends that was there early to help her. And that person would be the one to greet us. And we'd sit down and we'd be like, well, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? And after about a half an hour of everybody getting through the door and her being there and us being there, she'd make this grand entrance down the stairs, you know, fully beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful. So she's fully be dressed and, you know, ready, ready to be the hostess. But it was so rude. In my mind, it was so rude. Like, yeah, it, it, it made, you know, an entrance. She wanted to make an entrance. But a good host, a good host greets you at the door and opens it and has everything prepared for their guests and welcomes you with a warm hug, right? Or welcomes you with a glass of water. You might be thirsty. You might be hungry. But that good host is prepared for what, how to accommodate you and however you need, whatever's necessary for you, right? So, you know, like I said, I forgave my friend. It's okay. I just learned what not to do. You know, a good host will come and say, okay, you know what, why don't you put your feet up? Or, oh, you know, you've been traveling a long time. Do you want to lay down? I know you've, you, maybe you just got off a flight and you just came to my house. You need to maybe rest. Here's a pillow, right? The good host meets you in the place of your need. A bad host clearly does not. But all is forgiven. The Lord began to minister to me about how the Father, and as I was developing this, And I'm going to go through it really quickly because my husband wants to share on some really important aspects of who he is. But as I was developing this, I didn't realize, but the Lord led me into the way that the Trinity itself has hosted us in our lives. God the Father hosted us by his creation. So before the world even began, he created light and dark. He created the animals. He created everything. He prepared a place for us to live and to dwell. When we were in our mother's wombs, he gave us that breath of life so that when we entered into the world, we'd have lungs and everything fully capable, right? We'd be fully capable. He equipped us as a good host. He didn't invite us into this world that he created and not be able to give us what we needed to cultivate our lives. So he's given us gifts and he's given us abilities and talents and all those wonderful things to be able to walk out his plan for us. I mean, I think it's absolutely amazing that in the very beginning, he hosts us, right? And so then I thought about Jesus the Son. And I said to myself, I need to look this up. I need to remember what his first miracle was. And in the book of John, John 2, verse 6 to 11, there was the wedding at Cana. I'll say Cana. The wedding at Cana. And Jesus had not yet performed any miracles, but here he was yet again being a good host. There was this wonderful wedding that was happening. The wine ran out and Jesus, Mary goes to Jesus and she's like, you got to do something. And he's like, okay, it's not my time, but okay. And in verse six, it says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish, Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now, the water now became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, 
Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And I think the most beautiful part about that, again, is how he was covering the host of that wedding. And he was sure. I mean, there are so many other spiritual aspects and things that we can draw from this scripture. But as I was seeking out the Lord and as I was looking at his character and how he could be a good host to me, this is what I found that his very first miracle was making sure that everybody had what they needed. And I thought that was absolutely incredible. And I want to give you just one more example. And this is my absolute favorite picture of Jesus and his servitude. I have this beautiful painting that my friend Alicia made for me. Well, actually, she made it and I bought it from her. And it's a picture of Jesus on the beach. And it's a picture of Je- it's it's a painting of Jesus sitting by the water and he had prepared a breakfast. And some of you may know this story that after he died and he he rose again, he went and showed himself to the disciples. And so in John 21 um verse 1 to 14, I don't want to get into all of it, but it, as the day was breaking, Jesus set himself up on the beach. And Peter, at this point, was very discouraged, and he went back to fishing after Jesus died because he's like, there's no hope for us, right? And so all of a sudden, he starts coming to the shore. They've been fishing all night. The same way that Jesus called him was the same way he's looking now, and Jesus has already set provision for them on the beach. And as the day was breaking, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus said to them, come, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So beautiful how he performs this miracle yet again. He's already the risen son of God. And he's now coming back to them to show him himself. And he's performing miracles, still serving them, right? When I'm going to shoot down to verse 9. It says, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of fish. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And I love, love this next scripture. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. You've been toiling, you've been, you've been without me for this time. Now just come on, come now and have breakfast. Look, I prepared this for you. I'm waiting for you. I'm here. I'm, I prepared you. I'm, who prepares you? Your mom prepares you breakfast. Your grandma prepares you breakfast. Like your dad prepares, you know what I mean? Like your family, those intimate, they, they make that provision. They're a good, they're a good, good host. And so I saw that as, wow, Jesus, you're the son of God. The Father made sure creation was ready for us in hosting us on the earth. And the Son made sure that in all his miracles, he was serving us as a good host and giving us what we needed. And then I thought about the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God now who dwells within us hosts our weakness. He doesn't push them away, but he invites them. And he says, no, 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 come and bring me all your burdens. Come and bring me all your weaknesses. Come bring me all of them. And the way the Holy Spirit, the way he hosts us is that he dwells within us at all time. He he guards our salvation and assures us that we belong to God. He gives us hope and he gives us peace during difficult times. He gives us strength and endurance during trials. He brings us conviction. He hosts us by providing power over our temptations. He invites our sin. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit inviting your sin and saying, come to me? So that I can give you the power that you need to overcome that temptation. He grows us into holiness. He helps us pray. He gives us wisdom to make decisions. He provides understanding of God's word. He says, take all, give me all that funky stuff that you think about the Bible. All that theological stuff that ain't right. And bring it to me so I I can show you who I really am. He guides us and directs us into specific events. He calls us to salvation. His spirit invests us with confidence over fear. He gives us the right words to be able to speak about him. He gives every believer spiritual gifts. He frees us from the letter of the law and gives us the spirit and the freedom and the life and the liberty of Christ on the inside of us. And he grows within us the fruit of the spirit. 
And so here you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hosting us fully, completely. And we have absolutely no need of nothing when we are in the presence of the good host. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of my experience in Jerusalem. Number one, it was hot. Everyone I asked about going to Israel in the summer, they said it's hot. It was hot. Everywhere we went, it was hot. We had to drink like 50 gallons of water. It didn't work. I, I realized a couple of things on the trip. One of the things is uh, I'm a diva. I don't know how. Huh? I live in a project, so I don't know how I'm a diva. I went there, right? <laughs> we stood in the room, and I'm like, this is where we're staying? I see ants over there, all this craziness. And I couldn't, I couldn't settle in a lot of areas. But when I went to Jerusalem in the heat, one thing really stood out to me. You know, uh, throughout the whole tour, we were, they were showing us about the communities, and you just, I, you just, I just re- witnessed a lot of, like, hate. Generational hate. Arab against Jew. Jew against Hasidic. Arab against Hasidic. It was just a constant, like, negativity that I was witnessing. So when we went to Jerusalem, all I could see is just walls. People praying out the walls wanting to get to the other side to pray, all these restrictions. Everywhere we went was like almost like a metal detector with guys with machine guns standing there. We had to put all our stuff in for security reasons. It just, there were so many restrictions, so many walls be built. And we went through communities where they were, uh, it was an like Arab, Arab uh, community, and they had walls around it. And Jewish communities were walls around it, trying to keep other communities out. Just, a, just really like blockage. And, and, and you go to Jerusalem, it's such a small place, but there are different sections, one for Jew, one for Christian, one for Arab, Muslim. It was crazy. And the Lord, I asked the Lord, I said, I had the same situation like my wife did. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't feel nothing. Half the time, my stomach is hurting me. <laughs> we eat hummus like every day, right? Hummus. I was bloated. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, nothing relieved it. <laughs> Burping cucumbers like every day. I said, okay, I'm saying I'm burping cucumbers all day long. But I asked God, I said, Lord, reveal something to me here because I'm not getting anything. Just like I was going to the church that we went to with a receptacle. I was sick. It smelled like incense. I was like, oh, I hate being here. It was just, I was having really hard trouble. And I asked God, I said, Lord, reveal to me what, it, what is it you want to say to me in this place. And the Lord said, don't you notice all the walls that are up? He said, you have so much walls around your heart. And I want to be able to invade you. But you got a lot of hurt. Frustration, anger. And it keeps me out. God's like, you keep me out of places in your heart. I want to read something to you. It says, this is the article I got. It said, we perceive with our own eyes, but we see with our hearts. Our minds receive images from our eyes, but our hearts interpret these things. If our hearts become bitter, jealous, hurt, in some way infected, the lens of our hearts is distorted. We perceive is, what we perceive is what's happening is really um, completely two different things. The Lord was telling me like, yo, your heart is hurt. There's so much things I have built around my house. Like you, you imagine um, bad things happen to you in your life and now you build up a bitterness and stuff like that. There goes a brick right there. Somebody disrespects you or backstabs you. There goes another brick right there. The church hurts you. There goes another brick right there. Family problems, another brick right there. You start building this wall, this wall, this wall. And now we're trying to interpret what God has for us and what the season we're in and what God is doing. But I can't see clearly because there's blockage in the way. And I had a dream the other day. I was like, Lord, I had a dream I was in junior high school. I always have these dreams I'm back in junior high school. Yeah, I don't know why. And in the dream, I always escaped the dream by saying this. I said, I, I got my, everybody knows I got my GED, right? That's my famous thing, right? So in the dream, I always be like, I got my GED. I don't need to be in this situation. And all of a sudden, I get out the dream. This time, I couldn't get out the dream. And I couldn't use that excuse that I got my GED, my good enough diploma. And I had a shirt on. It was like a, um, my son's high school shirt. And it said, New Visions. And when I was in there, my biggest problem when I was in the dream was, how long is it going to take for me to graduate from high school? I said, I'll be 50 by the time I get out of here. 
And I just kept focusing on the fact that how long is this going to take? How long do I have to deal with this? How long am I going to have to go through this? And the whole time God was telling me, I'm trying to give you a new vision, but you're blocked and you can't see what I'm about to do in your life. And I want to set you free and show you there is another way. There is a new season upon you. There is hope. The Lord told me that the season that we're in is coming to an end. The long season. I actually heard the Lord say the long season that we're in is coming to an end and a new beginning is about to happen. But we need to tear down these walls that are in the way of our hearts. That's preventing us to see what God has for us. Check this. I'm going to read this scripture. This is John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, the word has truth in it. But when he's talking to the disciples here, he's talking about the words he's saying to him. He's proclaiming who he is and they believe who he is. It became a reality. What their eyes saw, their hearts connected with it and said, this is real. You are the Christ. You are God. One of the things God told me is that the body of Christ has a trouble with seeing the word as a reality. It's more like good words and good things that we hear and, it's, and it's, it's, it's blessing and we get cry and stuff like that. But do we really believe that God is the Lord of, uh, Lord of hosts, that he is a good host to us? Because if I believe that God was a good host of me, I would let down my guard. I saw myself in a picture where I would just have my hands up. And every time something happened, I had my hands up to protect myself, to guard myself. And when I would let my guard down for the situation, I heard the Lord say, mighty man of valor. And I was like, what? And another situation, I put my arm up. And when I let my arm go, God would say, a mighty man of valor. When God called Gideon, he called him a mighty man of valor. And he said that he would take down the, the Midianites and stuff like that. But Gideon's problem was a lot like what my problem was. What I said was, yeah, but if you're God and you're Lord of all hosts, why are you allowing this to happen? Why does this keep happening to me? Why am I in the situation that I am over and over again? And God replies to Gideon. He just tells him, you're going to go out and you're going to do what you have. You're going to conquer the Midian army. One thing I had trouble with in my life is letting my guard down. Because in my mind, just like the dream, I always saw myself as always how long it's going to take. If I let my guard down today, you know this is going to happen. You, you know we perceive already what's going to happen. I did that like a thousand times on the trip, right? Every time something happens, I say, yo, if I do this, it's going to happen. If I told this guy this, he's going to say this. Like, just fear and worry. Always worrying about what the next step is. Always worrying about, so I never get into the next step because I'm always fearful of that step. So I ask God, how do we do this? How do I let go of my, my, these walls in my life? If you're a God, God's not going to come. He's a gentleman. He is not going to come and tear down your walls and you don't got to do nothing. There's something that's required of us to do. And I found it in this scripture. This is 1 Peter 5, 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And, the, and at the right time, he will lift you up and honor you. When I heard that word on, on, humble, I was like, oh, no, nah, hell, no. Humble myself? You know what it is to humble yourself in a situation where you're feeling, I don't know, I don't know if you like me, but I don't like to be played. I don't care if the guy's like three times my size. I don't want to be played. Don't play me. Don't disrespect me. That's my biggest word, right? Don't disrespect me. Don't disrespect me. But what if I put my guard down? And trust that God is my defender. And trust that God is the one that's going to fix the situation. And trust that God is going to make a way in, a difficult, in my difficult situation that seems impossible. If I just let my guard down and trust him and humble myself, he will lift me out of that situation. And I'll see victory. I want to read something else to you guys. I was asking God about, you know, I like to always give a word not by personally, I myself, but, you know, for the Lord to give me something. And the Lord told me, he's like, I told you in the beginning of the year that this is going to be an ending of, the, of a season. And my eyes were shot, man. I couldn't see anything. You know, we went through, uh, we were giving words, and we like like outside in different churches and in schools trying to like get through stuff and going through turmoil in the home. You know, just different things that people go through in life. And I just came to God. I said, yo, when is it going to end? You promised me things. You say you're going to do things. But when is this going to end? When am I going to see victory in my situation? When my heart going to be truly free? You know, the Bible says, who the son set free is free indeed. And a lot of times, I don't feel free. I'll be honest. 
And it's not bound by God or bound by religion. It's bound by my own stuff. My own things that I hold on to that are my defense mechanisms that helps me get through it, supposedly helps me get through a day. If I got to deal with something, I would joke. Or, or if somebody's disrespecting me, I got to say something negative. It, it was, it's just like horrible. And it was no freedom. And I feel like God is telling us that I want to get you to the next stage of your lives. I want to get you out of your mess. I want to get you out of the situation that seems so impossible. But we need to humble ourselves over the mighty hand of God. We need to trust God that he's real with everything that he says in his word, that it's real. That it's not a joke, it's not a lie. And the problem is, it's not a reality to a lot of us. To me, it's not, a lot of times it's not a reality. Because with my human eyes, I don't see that. And my heart is blocked with so much damage and hurt that I'm not even interpreting it as something good. So what I have to do is humble myself and say, Lord, you know, whatever the situation is I'm dealing with right now, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust that the outcome of this situation is always going to work out for me. If the word says that a, a plan to prosper in you, not to harm you, I have to trust God that he's not going to harm me. That when I let go of my fears, let go of my anger, let go of my judgment, let go of my jealousy, frustration, all, all those things. When I let it go before God, I have to trust the fact that he's going to change the things for me. That all things will be well. That I will see the blessings of God. That I will see the, the, the doors open in my life. Things that are hindering me from reaching those places. But it's hard. We have to be, want to be rea in reality. It's hard to humble ourselves. Because we're damaged. We're broken. We're hurt. Confused. We come to church a lot of times and we hear the word. And, and I gotta go, you got to go back home and face the, the same situation. And you try to hold on by faith. You try to hold on and try to do the right thing. But trying to do the right thing and letting go is two different things. Because I'm trying to do it with walls around me. Restrictions. God wants to invade us today, man. He wants to invade our hearts. He wants to do what we've been waiting for to do. My wife's been talking about all these blessings that God is doing for us. But you know, a lot of times I'm so cloudy, I can't even see the blessing and enjoy it. It took me a while, two weeks, I was in Israel, it took me a while to enjoy that trip. And when I faced some, some trials over there, right, faced some trials over there, I had to swallow my pride. Because everything me wanted to ruin that trip. I wanted to ruin the trip, I'll be honest with you. Because I had these walls up. And when everybody came and started knocking on one of those, those bricks, <laughs> that knucklehead wanted to come out. But I had to humble myself. I said, Lord, you did it for Gideon. You did the impossible with Gideon. You can do it for me. And every time you humble yourself, every time you let your guard down, we have to trust God that damage is not going to come to you. A lot of us are afraid of being vulnerable. Because when we put our guards down, suppose we put our guards down, damage or, or negativity came to us and we went back and put our guards into safety. But God wants to free us today from that. He's God over everything. He controls everything. Every battle that we're in, he can, he can defeat it and, and change it like in a moment's time. But if we hold on and we hold, keep holding on to what's familiar to us, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish or the people are unrestrained. And we'll struggle. We'll go through all this craziness and live this crazy night. Like I don't have Facebook, but I watch my wife's Facebook. There's a lot of stuff that I see. That I'm like, yo, we all in church? What's going on? People doing unrestrained stuff. I'm not saying unrestrained stuff. Is that, you know what the word unrestrained is? Look it up. Unrestrained stuff. There is no vision. There is no purpose. There's no clear uh, a revelation of God. So people don't know what to do or they have walls up or hurts. And they just live life the way they want to live. And they come to church and they be like, yo, I serve God. I'm a child of God. God loves me. Mercy and grace. But there's no vision. If you cannot see clearly the things of God, I'm not talking about a vision like I had a vision and I saw myself as a doctor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about clearly what God's purpose is in our lives. How we're supposed to live. What we're supposed to do. Where are we supposed, what's our character we're supposed to look like? If I don't have a clear vision, what happens is we have chaos. And for me, a lot of years, I had a lot of chaos. Because I didn't see clear. Yeah, I know I was supposed to preach the gospel. Yeah, something like that. But it didn't make sense because walls were blocking my vision clearly. And it was causing me to do things that I want to do. Things that I was hurting me, hurting the people around me. 
And at the end of it, I was the one suffering the most. When it was time to get up and do something for God, when it was time to do something, I had a, you know, ever see people do this? I don't know. When, right before you're about to do something or, or pray for, you know, somebody prays for demons or, or something like that, everybody starts going in this whole repentive stage. Where they ask, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because there's like fear. I don't want a demon to come on me. I don't want this to happen. I don't want these bad things to happen. And we start doing this all the time. I was a person like that. Every time I had to go do something, I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do this. And, and it, it was just like a torment over my life. And the Lord said, why don't you take those bricks down? And every time you take a brick down, you humble yourself, and you let this situation go. God's gentle. Gideon went before God, and he put a lot of fleece, he put a fleece before the Lord. He was like, if you're really God, then do this. If you're really who you say you are, do this. Okay, you did that, but I want you to do this. And God was merciful and did it for him. Maybe you need to be in a situation right now where you say, look, I can't, I can't just jump 100% and jump on this boat, which y'all talking about, because I don't really feel it. But why don't you give a fleece before the Lord? In other words, that means I'm going to put something before God. I'm going to give a chance. I'm going to humble myself about this situation, and I want to see what God is going to do for me in that situation. And God is so merciful that he will do answer you and bless you in that situation and get you through and come through for you so that the next stage you can do the next thing. Okay, now I'm going to do this thing. And not realizing that every time you're doing that, you're pulling a brick down. You're pulling a brick down, a brick down. And now you see God clearly what he's trying to tell you. You no longer look with the eyes and see bad situations, but you see with your heart. And you interpret the things with the heart of God. When I went to a situation, I'm not going to talk about it, but when I went to a situation in Israel, I was in the holy city in Jerusalem. We just came from the Villa de la Rosa. And I was like, wow, look at this. This is amazing, stuff like that. And there's stores everywhere. And there's nothing what you think about. It's like, like imagine bodegas everywhere selling holy water and oils and stuff like that. It's all over the place. And I walk in there, and I went a little too far and uh, away from the group. And uh, a person like, got upset with me and started yelling at me. And I was like, what? I'm in another country. This is crazy. I was so hurt and so frustrated and angry. And when I did what I said, the only thing I could do in this situation is just humble myself. And as soon as I humbled myself in that situation, I just, uh, just this, this overwhelming love and forgiveness came upon my heart. And I, 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 that's rare. <laughs> if you know me, that's rare. Like a, a situation, I'm like, oh, I'm cool. I'm cool with this guy. This is, this is great. I love this guy. I see he's going through something. He's a little afraid or something. That's all right. I want to make sure he, he feels better about the situation. And it broke something in me. I had, I had things where I was like, I was going through so much stuff. And God was dealing with me so much in Israel, not about the sights and everything, but personally what I was going through where I would have dreams where I was like, um, I, I was going through something with a person. And I was like, Lord, give me overwhelming love for, for all the offenses and the, and the frustrations I have with people. Give me love instead of being angry. We don't have to do this on our own. This is not something we, you have to, in order to build trust to somebody, you got to get to know them, right? And in order to build trust with Jesus, you have to get to know him. And he understands that. So when little by little, when you put something down, he's patient with you. He knows the outcome of your situation. He knows how everything's going to turn out already. And when we let go, and they say let go and let God, you'll see the change in your life. You see things that have been for so many years, never breaking, breaking fast. God's mercy is real. His love is real. And you know, he's not, he's, like I told you before, he's a gentleman. The only way those things are going to come down, if you humble yourself before God and begin to remove those bricks and remove that hate and remove that anger. I know some of us, it's very difficult. This is years of damage and some people went through stuff that probably nobody ever went through. It's very difficult. But when God is with you in every situation, he's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to desert you. He's not going to play you. He's not going to put you in a situation that you're going to look stupid and dumb. He's going to exhort you in the due season and build you up. When you take down your wall, he's going to build you up. And make you what's in your heart. But there's a lot of us today that need healing. We truly need healing. And that wall is so strong. We can't break it on our own. And we need Jesus to come. Jesus to stand with us and help us take one brick off at a time. In order to see justice. God has justice for you. He has victory for you. He has peace for you. Hope for you. I believe that's a church today. This is the word I have for you for the church. This season is ending. And I'm talking about not just a season of the, the summertime. 
But I'm talking about the long season of suffering and frustrations and things that seem generational long. God is saying those things ending this year. But it's required of us to humble ourselves to receive that blessing. Because next year what awaits us, the new season awaits us, is a new beginning. And I don't know about you, for when I was a child, I've been waiting for a new beginning. And God's been doing wonderful things, but God is saying what I'm about to do is about to take into another stratosphere, this whole body of Christ. I don't care what status you're in. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how angry you are, how frustrated you are. God's about to take you to another stratosphere. He wants to clear your eyes so you can see things the way he sees it from his perspective. Amen? Amen. So what we want to do is we want to, we want to play a song for you um, that just has impacted us so deeply. And, you know, just as my husband was speaking, I just sort of had a vision of, and if y'all could just close your eyes for a moment, I kind of want to share it to you as your eyes are closed. You kind of have to have a mental, uh, a mental picture for it. So if you could just imagine um, you're standing on the outside of a house that Jesus owns. And before he, actually you're in the house, let's put you in the house, okay? And he's on the other side because the scripture says that he knocks at the door of your heart. And it says that anyone who opens that door, he will come in and sup with him. He'll have fellowship with him. He'll dine with him. He'll listen to him. He'll care for him or her. So I want, I want you to imagine Jesus is knocking at that door of your house. And so he knocks once. And you hear the knock. And then he knocks again because you might be doing something and you're not able to get to the door. And I want you to see yourself opening that door to Jesus, the Son of God, your Savior, your Redeemer, the man who died for you, the man who rose for you. And I want you to imagine him walking through the threshold of that doorway coming into your house. I want you to imagine that now that you've invited him in, you're sitting together at a table with Jesus. You've got a whole spread for him and for you. And you begin to break bread with him. Now I want you to, I want you to make a choice now. Now I want you to choose what is it that you need him to know? What is it that you need to give him before he exits that door and you're finished with that meal? What is it that you need him to take out of your house before he leaves that moment? And as we play this song, it's called Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts. I want you to have that in your mind, and if you need to come to the altar and give that to Jesus, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to do that.
Jesus. Just stay right there. Allow God just to speak to your heart. Allow these walls to fall down. You can, you can break through today. If God has brought you to this point and spoke this into your life, he's telling you you can step out and you can break through today. still stands and maybe you're one of those that uh, Joshua and Lee spoke about and there's some walls that you still need to break down but you're not sure I want to 
let you know that God is good, man. You know? And what you give away, what you bring down today, you really want to see God move incredible in your life. If you want to see the staleness that you've been in and step into living things, today is that day, man, to let it go. Let it go, let it go. And we're going to sing this together because we believe that God is still moving. God is still alive. He's not at a tomb that we go visit, but he's living within us. If you believe that, I want you guys to sing this with me. Hallelujah. Father, you are moving in this place. Come on. Can you put those words up? I've seen you move. Just say it. I've seen you move. You move the mountain. Come on. And I believe. I believe. I've seen you do it again. You made a way. And I believe, I believe I see you do it say, I see you move You move the mountain believe. I believe Do it again You, do it you made a way I want to pray over you guys. Yes. God sees your heart. And even when you, if you're in the front or the back, Lord Jesus, I believe that God is going to do it again. Do you believe that? Father God, I pray for marriages right now in the name of Jesus. I pray you restore, Lord God, the years that the locusts took away and the canker worm and the years that have been devoured over frustrations and offenses and hurts. I speak healing in the name of Jesus right now over marriages. I speak healing over families and children. I speak restoration in the name of Jesus right now. Those who do not know Jesus, I pray you come to know Jesus today and the love that he has for you. And wherever you're at, if you don't know Jesus right now, a simple thing, just say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you love me and you died for me. And I say yes to everything you have for me. Father God, I pray for those who have been hurt by the church, through religion. I just break that down, those walls right now in the name of Jesus. And let them see the love of God and who you are and what you are, Lord God, to them. Your faithfulness to them, Lord God. We believe, Lord Jesus. We believe that you are faithful. We believe you can move mountains, Lord Jesus. I speak for those who are, are, are dealing with financial issues and, and, and job issues and home issues. I speak life and provision right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for wisdom, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. We're dealing with finances. Lord, you see all the hearts here, people, Lord God. You see every, every person in here that's hurting, every person that's angry, every person that's confused. And you love them. You call them mighty men and women of valor. You call them to the front line of your army, Jesus. To bring love and life to this world, Jesus. So, Father, have your way today over your people. Have your way, Lord God. We humble ourselves before you in your mighty power. And you call us friends, Jesus. You call us friends to you, Lord God. So I thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the miracles that are going to come upon this church and among these people. I thank you for the testimonies going to be brought forth, Lord God, in the end of this season, Lord God, how you've been faithful, how you brought them through, Jesus. And we welcome, Lord God, a new beginning in our lives, Father God, as one body, 
as individuals and as family, Lord God, we welcome a new beginning that you have for us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on. Senior, just say.